morning, church. In just a moment, we're going to turn to our scripture passage, but I want to say a couple of things about it before we really dig into it. This scripture from John chapter 21 is going to be a conversation between Peter and Christ. And it's one of the most impactful ones for me in my own faith journey. And it's a conversation that changed Peter's life forever. And it's a conversation that changed my life forever. And I'm, I, I'm very confident in saying that I truly believe that it's a conversation that changed all of our lives forever. It's a conversation of letting go, of forgiveness, of freeing, and of sending. It's a conversation that goes beyond our human wisdom, and it's almost nonsense in terms of human understanding. It draws us into the never-ending, always faithful, always mysterious love of God, and it in many ways goes beyond our rational minds and calls us to push past our limited understanding of right and wrong, of good and bad, and teaches us to see a glimpse of what God sees when Christ looks at us. So I'd like to invite you to settle into a comfortable place and join me this morning in looking at a passage of scripture that conveys truth for us today. And that's one of the most beautiful things about scripture is that it actually conveys truth for each and every single one of us today, even in 2019. And it's my hope and prayer that each of us would be drawn further into the love of God this morning. And it's my hope for each of us, including myself, to have an encounter with the risen Christ so that we might be even more transformed and be an even more faithful people to our wonderful God, who is always greater than we could ever hope for or imagine. We've all come here today looking for hope and with a desire to hear some good news. The reading of this scripture is good news. It's enough good news for each of us, if we'll let it be that. And I hope we can dig into this passage and allow it to dig into our lives so that we can see even more deeply how real and how relevant this really is for our lives today. God isn't just somewhere out there. God is right here. God is right here. And God is inside of you too. God is as close as our breath. And right now we all have the opportunity to raise our awareness to this truth. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful to be here with you this morning. And we ask God that your Holy Spirit would fall anew on us today. Lord, we desire to know you. We desire to see you and to be transformed by you. We love you with all that we are. And we ask that you'd bless this time that we have together in your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 21, verses 9 through 19. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to turn there with me now. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said this to him for the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the type of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples since his resurrection. Last week, Dr. Moore shared with us how Jesus met with Mary and the others, even showing Thomas his hands and his side to prove that it really was him. And now we fast forward to an early morning on the coast. It's back to business as usual for the disciples, and Peter has initiated a fishing trip. Last we really heard from Peter, he was in the middle of warming himself by a fire and denying that he even knew Jesus. There's a song that I love by Sarah Sparks, and she wrote this song from Peter's perspective during Holy Week. And songs for me have a way of helping me see the depth of things that I may not have noticed previously. And this song in particular is one that I played on repeat throughout all of Lent. It just drew me into this moment between Peter and Christ. And I'd like to share some of the lyrics from this song with you now. And keep in mind that as I read these lyrics, this is Peter speaking to Christ. He said, remember these signs. So I said them each morning and held to them tight. But at the first chill of the night, I gave up his words for the warmth of a fire and traded his love for a lie. I said, I'll never forget. I will call out your name through the storm until death. But the crow came three times, as he said, and I held tight my tongue just to save my own head, and I watched from the ground as he bled. Peter was such a bold disciple, one who tried to defend Jesus, the one who walked on water to Jesus, 
the one who left everything behind to follow God in the flesh. Peter is the disciple who witnessed miracles, asked a lot of questions, and failed boldly. And somehow his pride disregarded Jesus' predictions of his future denial. So here we are at an early morning breakfast. We know Jesus has appeared to the disciples a couple of times by now, but we haven't heard about any conversation between Peter and Jesus until now. I think it's safe to say that Jesus was waiting for an opportune time to meet with Peter. Jesus calls the disciples in from their fishing boats to have breakfast with them, and the disciples already know that it's Jesus who's calling them in. Jesus was the one who helped them catch so many fish. And Peter is the front runner, as usual, pulling the net ashore so they can grab a couple of fish to cook. They eat a meal together, and once they finish, Jesus looks at Peter in the eyes and asks him a bold question, totally designed for Peter. He calls him by name and he asks, Do you love me more than these? Some scholars say it's ambiguous what Jesus is referring to when he says, more than these. Yet Jesus looks at Peter and gives him three times to tell him that he loves him. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And three times Jesus gives Peter instructions on what he is to do. He is to feed and tend to Jesus' flock. Three times he gives Peter a chance to say he loves him in place of the three times he denied him. I find it mind-blowingly incredible that after everything Jesus went through, the beatings, the mocking, the trial, the crucifixion, the total abandonment and denial from all of his disciples, that in this first conversation with Peter, he doesn't even mention it. He simply invites Peter and the disciples to breakfast and then gives Peter three chances to tell him that he loves him. It's total forgiveness. It goes against everything we could ever expect. And I wonder how many of us, after having been crucified and abandoned, would, after being raised from the dead, not come back and stand on the steps of the temple and look out at everyone and say, Look at me now! You thought you could keep me down, but you were wrong. But instead, we have before Peter a God who sought him out in his imperfection. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This just doesn't make sense to us. We live in a world of tit for tat of winners and losers, of right and wrong. We live in a society of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We as Christians often live measuring our holiness and goodness against another person's, and we try to get to God by being as good as we can and by being as Christian as we can. And yet right here in this early morning conversation between Peter and Jesus, we learn about a spirituality of imperfection. That while we were still sinners, that while we were imperfect, that while Peter denied Christ, Jesus still forgives and Jesus still loves. 
Christ comes to us first. God seeks us out and invites us to live our lives defined by the truth that for some reason, God loves us. If Peter had loved Christ perfectly, what kind of grace would he have ever experienced? If Peter had gotten everything right, what would that have been like? How would he know the depth of God's love for him? Over and over again, God teaches us that we must often come to God by getting it wrong. That our failures and our moments of being at the bottom actually become a foundation God can use to show us how utterly broken and empty we can be. I can only imagine what must have been going through Peter's mind during the days leading up to this conversation with Christ. How many times did he replay his denial in his mind? How horrible was his self-talk? How much time did he spend in a self-loathing place? I even wonder who of you here today are experts at replaying past mistakes over and over in your minds. Do they have anything new to say to you? How many of you here today hang on to past hurts and past failures and define your lives based on these, based on this kind of pain? How many of you shape your life's narrative around this kind of hurt? The conversation Jesus has with Peter invites him to be transformed, to repent, to change his mind. Peter doesn't wrap himself around a negative storyline about his denial. He doesn't go through the rest of his life saying, I'm denying Peter. Yes, Peter made a lot of big mistakes. But he allowed himself to receive Jesus' letting go of these mistakes and be transformed by the forgiveness he needed. It reshaped and it redefined his entire life. He hit the bottom and found a foundational truth down there that God wasn't going to give up on him. Jesus still seeks after him, and Jesus still seeks after you. Scholars say that roughly two-thirds of Jesus' teaching is on forgiveness. I guess you could say this is something that God is really good at doing. God is really good at letting go and inviting us towards a new way of living. The conversation Jesus has with Peter sets the pattern and the example for exactly what Jesus is calling Peter to do. It's the pattern Jesus invites each and every one of us to live out. Christ prepares a table and a meal for all of us. Christ seeks out every opportunity to look you in the eyes and to ask you, do you love me? Jesus looks at you this morning and asks you this question, do you love Christ? God already knows you aren't going to love him perfectly. God knew what he was getting into when he created us, and yet God is utterly committed to us. There is no going back for God. The love of God, the love of Christ, cannot be shaken, and it will not be changed, and it will not be taken away. It's a love that knows no bounds, one with endless potential, one that can reshape, resurrect, and change absolutely anything. It's one that delights in multiplication and doesn't leave us wanting, but fills us up to overflowing.
The love and forgiveness of God goes beyond our minds and is something each of us are invited to experience and to receive. We as a staff recently read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. And I absolutely love the way Bonhoeffer's words talk about the effect of God's forgiveness. He said, We will know our wisdom has reached the end of its tether when Christ forgave us. The forgiveness of God doesn't make sense to our minds, to our rational ways of judging and evaluating. Christ isn't going to twist your arm to receive this forgiveness. It's been freely given, and you're invited to receive. Christ is looking at you today, knowing absolutely everything about you. And he's simply asking, do you love me? How would you answer this question? How will you pattern your life? Will you continue being defined by every failure and mistake you've made? Or will you begin living defined by the freedom Christ offers you to be loved and to love? Richard Rohr is famous for saying that Christianity is about teaching us what to do with our pain. And that if we don't transform our pain, we're likely to transmit it. If we don't allow God to take our pain, we're likely to pass it on to our children, to our spouse, to our parents, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the people that drive up and down Providence Road. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It seems to me that when we allow God to take our pain, to take our hurts, to take our mistakes and our regrets, when we allow God to truly take these things from us and offer us forgiveness, we lose our need to point fingers and we lose our need to blame. We lose our need to be defined by how we have been hurt because we don't need any type of moral superiority over anybody else. Jesus had no desire to blame, no desire to point a finger at Peter, only the desire to invite Peter into more freedom and into more joy. This isn't a Pollyanna way of living. It's a kind of living that doesn't deny the pain that we've experienced, but instead it looks at it square in the eyes and it faces the pain head on. But instead of being shackled to it, we ask God to transform it. It isn't a pain-free process either. It costs us something. We have to ask God to crucify that. We have to ask God to resurrect that painful place in our lives. And we have to come to a place where we are ready to let it go, to surrender to the way that pain lives in us and allow God to truly take it. I'd like to invite you this morning to walk away pondering a couple things. One is how can you make time to sit with Christ and have a conversation this week? Christ desires to meet with you, and if there's something that you're having a hard time letting go of, I'd like to invite you to look Christ in the eyes. Allow God to forgive you of your mistakes and of your failures. Allow God's love for you to transform those past hurts so that you don't transmit them to anyone else. 
Allow God to help you transform your narrative into one filled with grace and redemption. Say yes to loving Christ to the best of your ability, each day, failures included. The second thing I'd like to invite you to this morning is to consider how you can live into the pattern Jesus taught us through his conversation with Peter. Jesus fed Peter, and then he freed him. When we give our lives to Christ, we commit to follow in his ways and to tend to his flock and to care for those around us. We love God by loving others. And if there's someone you need to forgive, I'd like to invite you to continuously dwell on what it means for Christ to have forgiven you so that you can be filled with the same boldness that filled Peter. When we define ourselves and our lives based on the truth of Christ, I believe with all of my heart that great things will happen. We've seen that pattern happen time and time again. People who find that they build their house on the firm foundation of the truth that God loves them and that God forgives them. Great things happen. You begin to see the world the way that God sees it. You begin to live your life the way that Christ has called you to live and all of your priorities change and you shift from the inside out because you are wrapped up, swallowed up in grace. Jesus simply looks at you and he calls you by name. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows you really well. And he says, follow me. So I'd like to invite you to follow Christ. It will be the best decision you will ever make. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, wonderful are your works, and we are grateful to be a part of your work. Lord, we ask that we'd be able to partner with you as we follow you in bringing more wonder, and more, more glory, and more love into the world. We love you. Amen.